Greetings and salutations. It's Ryan McNeil here at the Matinee Cast with a little bit of bonus content for your podcast feed. So the Oscars were last weekend, the 92nd Annual Academy Awards, where history took place. Oscar voters, in a rare bit of wisdom, handed Bong Joon-ho's Parasite the award for Best Picture, thus making it the first international feature to receive the honor. So why am I bringing this up? Well, as it happens, despite being online for 10 years, this show seldom does an episode dedicated to the year's Best Picture winner. The reasons you could probably guess if you gave such things a moment's thought. However, this year, it just so happens we did cover Parasite on the podcast back in October. So considering its well-learned laurels and the fact that we covered the film very early in its theatrical run, when many of y'all probably hadn't seen it yet, I thought it was a good time to drop the discussion back into your feed. This is just the straight goods. No intro, no other side, no know your enemy. We are getting straight to the marrow of the matter. As for my guest, he is one of my favorite people to have on the show. He's family around here. The guest is Andrew James from the artist formerly known as Row 3. This gent from Minnesota is joy to talk to. And anytime you get his voice in your podcast feed, trust me, it's a good day. I should mention that this discussion is rather spoiler-laden, so if you still haven't seen the film, give it a look and come back after, or if you don't care about being spoiled, listen on. But enough foreplay. It is time to discuss a Best Picture winner. Come back with me to October of last year, where Andrew James and I sat down to discuss Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Parasite is directed by Bong Joon-ho. It's written by Jin Won Han and Bong Joon-ho. It stars Kang Ho-sung, Yo Jong-jo, Sodan Park, Wick Sik-choi, and several other people who I do not Mr. Kim and his family of four live in a derelict basement apartment in Korea. They make do off of stolen Wi-Fi and make a meager living doing menial jobs like pulling up pizza boxes. One day, a family friend comes by to say goodbye before leaving to study abroad and suggests that Kiwoo, that's the son in the family, take over his job tutoring English for the child of a wealthy family. The boy doesn't have the proper credentials, but his friend says to worry not. In this life, it's not about what you know so much as about who you know and about what you can bluff. The lad goes to work for Mr. Park in a splendid modern house. It's not long after that that Kiwoo's sister is applying to be an art teacher for the Park's son and Kiwoo's father is applying to drive them around. And before it's all said and done, even Kiwoo's mother is applying for a job. So now the whole family works for the parks and everyone can live happily ever after, right? Wrong. It's right around this moment that life in the park home gets truly surreal. And this film becomes truly unforgettable. Mr. Kim notably tells his son in this film that sometimes in life, the very best plans are no plans at all. That way, he says, your ideas and wants cannot fail so pop quiz hot shot the best plan is no plan at all what in the world does that mean to you in accordance to this movie uh in accordance to this well i really liked that sentiment a lot um it really <laughs> struck a chord with me because i am a very you much, nihilist I, i'm a, I'm a total exhausting. fly by the seat of my pants kind of person i take things as they come at me i very rarely of course some things you need to plan out. I'm going on vacation. I'm going to stay here. Whatever. But in in a in a sense of life, yeah, I just kind of take things as they come at me. I see opportunity. I'll go after it. Other um, if a problem shows up, I'll tackle it. I don't plan anything really. It's just it is what it is. So when he said that, I know it's it's kind of coming off as a like kind of a negative thing. I've I've also heard something similar. The adage is like, if you don't even try, then you can't fail. Which is <laughs> I think that's a Homer Simpsonism. Yeah, it, it totally is. And there's some like s- some amount of wisdom buried in there at some way. But it, overall, that's that's a horrible way to go through life. And I think the sentiment of not planning for anything is also kind of it's kind of naive and childish and lazy, but there's a, a little bit of wisdom in there too. Um, so 
I noticed throughout the movie that he mentions plans a lot before mm-hmm. he 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 straight up says uh, that quote that you just said, which kind of comes towards the end of the movie. But throughout the film, three or four, maybe five times, he says, "So you have a plan? Then what's your plan? What's your plan?" They talk about plans all the time, um, and sort of to to verify what he says, all of these plans that they lay out constantly go awry and not the way they want them to, not the way they foresaw them. So I, I really thought that was a nice foundation for the rest of the movie. You know, once he says that, you look back at everything and go, uh-huh, he's kind of yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, not to jump too far ahead of ourselves, but this movie is a movie that very much has class on its mind it's it's kind of it's been a theme this year i think with with several movies that are really taking a long hard look at class and the kim family they live in a it's not even a to say a basement apartment would be putting it grandiose they live in you know a glorified like boiler room yeah basically and the park family they have rooms upon rooms upon rooms they have far more space than they could ever possibly need and that dichotomy is front and center and so what i got to thinking about is true plans true capital p plans are really something that one is afforded um to to and, and it comes up in the course of this movie like at, at a certain point something happens which we'll talk about in a bit something happens to the Kim family that throws everything they're doing for a really, really wicked loop. And and this is while like, while they're like neck deep in a scheme that I think is part of what he is saying when the best plan is no plan at all is he is trying to say your best plan is to survive from day to day and to just get a little bit more, you know, a little bit more comfortable than you were yesterday. And whether that comes from, getting a new hustle or stealing a different type of Wi-Fi or or finding your way from a basement apartment to a sub-basement apartment or whatever, I think that's what he's what he's trying to say is plans the way that we think about them in terms of school and fellowships and savings and, and that kind of thing. That's really a luxury of a certain class of people and not everybody is that class of people. So if you are, if you wake up and you look around and you realize I am not in the class I thought I would be, then your best plan is just to, you know, make it to tomorrow. Yeah. Fascinating read on it. I I kind of agree, especially because yeah, the movie's clearly about class warfare and the obvious, I don't know, fight or whatever the, the, the struggle is between the rich family and the poor family. But at the same time, like you said, they're just out there to survive and they're willing to throw other poor people under the bus to get what they want as well. So there's like this struggle or class warfare amongst the lower class. It's not just eat the rich. Although that's no, in there no, too. it's not. Yeah. And that, and I think that's, that's actually what makes this movie so good. Cause if it was just poor people against rich people, it would, it would get, it would get nasty really quickly. And actually that's the funny thing about this movie is for as for as often as it is unpleasant, it never gets nasty. Well, I mean, it gets vicious, almost lighthearted. Yeah, even in its sort of viciousness, it's still. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I had there were some parts in the middle where I I was turning on characters back and forth both the yeah. rich people and the poor people like the 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 Kim family that there's a scene where they I'm really kind of on their side and they're fun even though they're kind of doing bad things they're they're easy to latch onto they're easy to like in the context of this movie um and you're kind of rooting for them and you want to see where it goes and you're admiring their cleverness but there's a scene where they all kind of just get drunk and sit around and are lazy and I found them really gross in that scene. I started to strongly dislike them in that scene. It's funny because I think that's the scene where they, you know, the the whole time they have been hustling their ass off to make 
everything work. Like they're putting on the right appearance and they're saying the right thing and they're 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 acting like they belong where they are. Like to to a man. Every time one of them goes in for the job, they they always like no sweat, boss. I can totally do that. I can totally drive your car. I can totally prepare whatever food it is, whatever cookie food it is you want me to prepare. And you know, that's that's the crazy thing is up until that point you are totally on their side of of just trying to not even really con this family but just get a little from this family in an unsuspecting way and then you know when they if they were having that party back in their place or back somewhere else i don't think it would really affect us as much as it is but to see them putting their feet up on the table and making a mess of the joint and everything like that it's just like it's anxiety inducing it's it's kind of gross it, it it kind of takes you back a few pegs from being on their side mm-hmm. um which is why i think that's the it's it's great that that's the moment where things really get, go haywire <clears throat> right that is the lead up to everything going nuts and that's also kind of one of my little nitpicks about this movie is like you said they work their ass off they're also very they're clearly skilled at different things they're clearly not stupid they're very clever they're very intelligent why are they they're not lazy so why i don't understand why they're living in squalor in the first place i understand there's tons of different circumstances that can lead to things but it didn't feel believable to me once i realized how capable and ingenuitive these people are um that they're just living in squalor i but yeah, it's a nitpick, but it, it kind of bothered me in hindsight. Well, I think the only thing that might underline that is it's it's possible that even though they're you know they're they're lower class and and they're clearly hardworking, is that they they there's something inside of them that doesn't really want to cross a line, and that's the thing. Like off the top of this movie, Kiwu he really has to be talked into lying. To Mr. To, to the Park family, like you know, his his buddy is like, listen, you can do this. Just because you don't have the certification to do this doesn't mean that you can't do this. So if you just go in there and act like you can, give them some forged documents, you'll you'll probably land it. Especially if I vouch for you. And and that's the crazy thing is Mrs. Park, like when he goes to like take out his his diploma that his sister has like carefully forged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, no, I don't care. I don't I don't want to see that. That that means nothing to me. And, and it's it's that crazy thing that they they feel like, you know, how many times have you met somebody who's like, I don't feel like I can go out for that job. They're asking for all kinds of qualifications that I don't have. And you tell them, listen, you know, you can totally do that. Just bluff it. Just go out there. Just put yourself out there and see what happens. And and that's the thing is they don't want to do that. They, they, they see all of these must have a car restrictions on applying for a job and they don't want to apply for that job. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things my dad told me going out. He said, it's not your job. It's the other person's job. It's the, it's the person doing the interview to determine um, whether you have the skills or not. It's, it's, it's your job just to put forth what you have and it's their job to like wipe you off the slate or take you on. There's no harm in applying for everything. It's their job to determine if you're qualified or not, not yours. Or whether they like you like that. That's the thing too. Sometimes it's just a matter of, do they think that they're going to be able to stand sitting in the back seat while they, while you drive their car. Right. And, and, and having confidence. There's a great YouTube video out right now where people, um, all they need is a ladder and confidence and they can get into anything they were getting into bars they were getting into big like expensive parties and movies because they had a ladder and they walked in with confidence like they belong there and that's what these guys totally do yeah um i mean the cool thing i like about this movie is the actual hustle The, the odd thing is the actual like kind of what we're talking about here the actual hustle is not really a huge con but the hustle is knowing like getting that one person who's on the inside who can say oh i know a guy right because the park family they're kind of their failing in this movie is they are so consumed by saying um i won't hire somebody who somebody else does not know like i'm not going to just open up applications to this job somebody needs to come recommended and that's how 
each family dominoes their way into working for the Park family is one gets in and then they say, oh, you need an art teacher? Well, I know somebody. Yeah. Oh, you need a driver? Well, I know somebody. And it's it kind of makes you wonder if like the upper class are actually paying any attention to their help. No. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. They like you said, they oh, you reckon you've done a good job for the last week. You recommended this guy. It's great. But at the end of the day, I, I didn't feel like the rich family, the Park family cared that much about the Kim family in terms of like who they are and um, oh no personal problems no. or struggles. It's just no, they don't give a crap. No, they totally don't. So, um, yeah, I, I love, it took a little while for me to realize what was going on. But once I did, I was like, Oh, this is a heist movie yeah. in a kind of weird one at a time roundabout way. It's a heist movie. Um, they're heisting their way in, they're stealing jobs essentially. Yeah. Um, I, I found it fascinating the way that it slowly insinuated itself into becoming a heist movie. Yeah, I mean, the Park family, they've got all of these little quirks and and um, particularities about how they want their house run and, like, how he wants his car driven. And, you know, Mr. Park even says, he goes, really, I want a driver who will never cross the line. And Mr. Kim, all um, you know, um, he always kind of walks up to the line, but he never kind of crosses it. And even when he's giving him like that audition, you see that he's holding a cup of coffee in the back of the car. And he's like kind of watching to make sure that Mr. Kim never drives that car in a way that makes him spill a full porcelain cup of coffee with no lid. So it's like they've got all of these parameters in place and what they want, but they're never paying really close attention to who's actually doing the job so much as it just keeps them comfortable that totally and that's they don't care and you know they don't care because of the way they just just throw people uh out the door like toilet paper like this woman has a medical condition well instead of regardless of the fact that she's worked with us for four years she's lived in the house for 20 years yep gone we'll just fire yeah. her like you're not yeah, gonna help yeah. her out. She at this point she should be almost part of the family, but no, no, we'll just fire her. The driver, like you don't even ask him any questions or anything. We found this pair of panties. You're gone. Like, <laughs> really? Was, yeah. I mean that was an incredible play too. Like the the family, the, the the Kim family, the the daughter figures out a way that she can weasel out of the way the driver, and she does it by like leaving her knickers in the back. Of the of the car so mr park finds them and automatically assumes like the worst yeah you know this, this guy who's been driving for him for i don't know how long gets no benefit of the doubt and yet this person who's just come in there is like oh by the way i know a driver like that's that's the kind of thing i love about this movie is every setup that it puts into play is is kind of genius totally and another thing that it, it sort of works out well for this movie is there's a lot of little I don't I don't know if I'd call them red herrings but there's moments where you think they're going to get caught for example with the panties uh you know he says you know what's really weird when you have sex in the back of a car maybe you would forget like an earring or something who forgets their underwear so like for a while I thought oh he's going to sort of investigate here and, but no, that goes away. And then there's the kid who recognizes the fact that they all smell the same. Yeah. Like, these guys are all from the same house. Um, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a thing. And then that's kind of tossed off to the side. So I like there's these little moments where you think they're about to get caught or discovered, and then they never really are. Yeah. And, it, and I mean, it's it's especially interesting because Park talks about how Mr. Kim has that smell so it's like how are you not paying that much attention to the fact that mr kim smells like that and so does everybody else because they're living all in the same moldy basement like yeah, yeah kim's a little older so he's probably got his own body thing going on too but i bet you five bucks if you were a little bit closer to your maid or to your daughter's english teacher or your son's art teacher you might notice something a little bit closer as well yeah it was kind, yeah. it was kind of weird how aloof they are yeah. Was there any one of these characters that stood out for you? Maybe the maybe the father, Mr. Mr. K not Mr. Park, but Mr. Mr. Kim. Kim. 
um, maybe stood out a little bit more just because he seemed to have maybe a little bit more reservations about certain things. He had a little bit more life experience and ideas about things. He also was the one, when it comes to the smell, he was the one targeted when there was some, you know, when they're hiding under the table and the park, the the husband and wife are sort of bad-mouthing these people, he's the one that was the real target or the brunt of that about how he smells and and how he's kind of gross and it wafts to the bed. So maybe he stood out a little bit more as the quote-unquote main character. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it, it, it doesn't hurt that he's one of the guys who we've seen in other through things. the years in movies yes. like yeah like thirst and snowpiercer and and um you know the host and those kinds of movies he's he's got um he's got kind of more of a sympathetic face like he's a little bit older um he's not quite as in in he's he's actually not even all that old he's he's 52 um he's a little he's a little heavy he's he's got these he's got eyes that do a lot of the heavy lifting for him, whether it's him, you know, looking through the window at Mr. Park when he first gets there for the job, like, you know, like, should I sit down or should I come into you? Or when they're talking at the party and he's wearing that, that stupid like Indian headdress and he's listening to, to what his boss wants to do. He's really got this, this face that he wears a lot of emotion on from moment to moment when he's trying to act as something else. Yeah. I, I, you know? I agree. His, his, he's just got one of those faces, and and you're right about the eyes and he, how they express so much. Like he can be so sad and taken aback, but he can be really happy too, and it's just super expressive. Yeah, and I mean it's it's crazy because there's times where he just looks like a down and out schlub when they're like trying to figure out how to pick up new Wi-Fi in their basement. Yeah. And yet at the same time, I mean, you, you know, kind of what goes to show of like how this whole con works, you put him in a suit and you put him in a Benz and he looks like he's supposed to be there. Totally. Yeah. And I, that's, maybe that's, that's why he stands thing. out. Yeah. Uh, the only other one that would stand out for me and we, we haven't gotten there yet is the older housekeeper, the one that gets fired and comes back later. She, yeah. She's she kind of nuts. Yeah. She, she's, it's it's crazy because on the one hand she looks like this doting house marm of a woman who always knows you know like how to get the stains out of the sheets and and you know how the son likes his oatmeal and how to make whatever it is ramdan in eight minutes that like those kinds of things and yet in the second half of this movie when things go nuts she really gets crazy like she she really gets very desperate and crazy very very quickly like so it's it's kind of it's a testament of her to how she's able to like act very composed and very in control of this you know really really high-end house but when you take that away from her she'll get desperate real quick mm -hmm. especially when she's got the goods on you oh yeah like once she yeah. realizes what's going on i mean i was still on her side the whole time she should have never been fired she should have no. you know that was really unfair and they did it in a really mean way um and when Funny she way, comes though. back she's doing it for the good of someone she's like i just want to take care of this maybe we can work something out um and then once she realizes what's going on she's like this is my way back in um, yeah but then yeah. yeah she does go crazy that whole north korea speech that she gives and yeah that was pretty great okay so just in case you happen to have come this far and are dodging spoilers uh this is your last chance to turn back because everything we've been talking about so far is really not even the most spoilerific part of this movie so this is your last chance to turn back this movie the cool thing about this movie is so it's called parasite and it begins to play itself out and you think oh okay so this family are the parasite, this family are the leeches that are going to grab onto something that is more nourishing and that's how they're going to survive. And then you realize, oh no, there's this other parasite who has already been there. The entire turn of this movie, like we said, like that woman coming in and saying, I just got this one thing. I need to take care of this one thing. Just please let me in and I'll be out of your hair. I don't know what the shit I expected her to 
be going to do. But as sure as hell wasn't, hey, there's a dude living in the basement. I know. Yeah, when she goes down, and we'll talk about cinematography and stuff later, but when she goes down those stairs and we don't, the camera doesn't follow her, it stays upstairs with the family looking at their watch going, she's been down there for a while. (laughs) And I'm thinking... Okay, I've seen Bong Joon-ho movies before. So there it could literally be anything. Yeah. I didn't know if there was going to be a demon down there, an octopus, uh nothing. It could it could li- I was so on the edge of my seat to find out what was down there. Um and I thought it could go totally fantastical or it could sort of just be what it ended up being. And I that was one of the things I really liked about the movie. It just grabs you and holds on even more every step. So, yeah, that when she goes down there and it turns out to be that, um, like once again, it just says, okay, this is happening. Now what? <laughs> the, the, so to put a point on it, like we find out that like her husband has been living in this storm cellar that like this panic room that this family doesn't even know is there like there is if you want the indictment of how high class this family is they don't even know the lay of their entire house they bought it not knowing this part of it existed and have never gone there never asked about it never been had any clue that it's there i don't know about you man but like there are if there was like a court like I am using every single nook of my apartment. There is not a single piece of storage space that I am not using for something. Yes. To have a whole cellar of your house that you don't even know is there that is big enough and comfortable enough for somebody to live, that is like that's damning. Yeah, it's kind of mind blowing. But the way it's shot and filmed kind of makes sense. Like it's oh, really it makes complete hidden. sense. Yeah. yeah, like how they get there, how deep underground it is, how you know, like where it leads and that kind of thing. I, you know, like you look at the Park family and they're not the kind of people who do maintenance on their house. They they do like no actual hands on work. So it's completely plausible that yep. they would have no idea like how to change a circuit you know, in their circuit breaker, let alone that this entire subsection of their house exists. And I like how they explain that the housekeeper knows it's there because she was there with the previous family and the previous family knew about it, but they, they, I guess they were like ashamed of it or something. Uh, and they, so they didn't want to tell the parks right. when they moved in. So that's how she knew about it, but they didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that comes right back to, the Park family's weakness of, well, you vouch for this person. I'm uh, sure. Yes, absolutely. You, you know, you're selling us your house and you think the housekeeper is worth keeping on. Yeah. We'll take your housekeeper too, but just add her into the sale. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's bananas really. And yet at the same time, it works totally for this movie. Totally. It does. Yeah. Um, and that is where this movie starts to go haywire is this entire other entity in 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 the way of this guy this this jun say dude who happens to who's been living in the basement for god knows how long just like existing on whatever the housekeeper brings down to him is is and that the family finds out that he knows that the family's not supposed to be there it's on the one hand it's insane and on the other hand this movie handles it so deftly that you just you have to just like lean back and be impressed yeah er everything is like you said, insane, but it's also strangely plausible. Like it's yeah. all grounded somehow in a reality that you totally buy. Um, even some of the reactions later on, and the especially, I mean, it's a Bong Joon Ho movie, so stuff like this, it gets crazy all the time and things. But something about this one, I, I just believed. I bought every single thing, pretty much that happens. Well. Well, because I think what makes this movie work so well and what makes a lot of his movies work so well is there's a fluidity to the narrative. Kind of like what I was saying is, oh, these are the parasites. No, that's the parasite. Now we've got, you know, a fight between the parasites. You're moving from station to station 
so elegantly that you just get caught up and it's like, wait, how did we get here? Weren't they folding pizza boxes in their own basement like 45 minutes ago? And it's like, no, we did this and we did this and we did this and that's how we got here. It, it you know, it's no small surprise that this is the same guy who made an amazing action movie that was all set on a moving train because his stories and the way his approach to cinema is is all about the fluidity of it to the point where like i mean in a lesser movie the fight between the two families of we're gonna out you well we'll out you and that would have been the end that would have been like that conflict between them over who was going to be outed to the parks and how would have been the end of the story and yet meanwhile there's a whole other crisis that follows in the way of this like rainstorm that one family is just able to like kind of sit in their comfy living room and and just ride out in style and to the other family it is it's you know armageddon <laughs> yeah uh, you know and yeah and we get to that in a in a very natural way very natural and it maybe it it feels natural just because of the way the the last hour of this movie is one giant even if you don't realize it while you're watching it, in hindsight, it's all one giant suspenseful bomb clock ticking yeah. down. Um, yeah. Just hiding under the bed, hiding under the, the coffee table, sneaking around up and down, trying to get food down to those people, but they can't quite do it because the party guests and all of that stuff. It's all, I mean, to use the cliche, it's all edge of your seat stuff. Even yeah. if you don't even now, realize and now it I have time. to get out and now I have to get back to my apartment and oh shit, my apartment's flooded. But now my boss is calling me to come back in for this party that they just want to throw. Okay. I smell like sewage. How am I going to do that? You know, like it's incredible. It is. It's really incredible that it's not just a complete mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like I, I pity the poor fool that tries to remake this movie because you know, somebody will. Oh yeah. There'll be an English language version of it at some point. Yeah. So then my next note says, and then there's a party. <laughs> Which, at first, I this it was one of my nitpicks. I didn't totally believe sort of his reaction, but in the last 24 hours I've been thinking about it, it actually, it's totally believable and viable. And Mr. Kim's reaction, what he does, I've had enough of this, I'm just going to take care of business. After all of the things that has been said about him, that's been done to him, the the last twenty four hours for him have been insane, and the final straw is, again, total spoilers. When his daughter is laying there dying, and Mister Park could not possibly care less. All he's interested in is getting the car keys. Like that that whole scene, Mister Kim finally snaps, and lets him have it. Of course, that also sets up the final final ending. But the party, there's so much. Oh, the the Indian stuff. There's so much build up there that it finally makes his final action, the murder, believable. It's like this party that this family just throws together. That's that's the crazy thing. Like the mother wakes up one morning and she's like, "I want to have a nice little party for our son. <laughs> Not too big. Just a few of the families." You know, they're, they're going to come and they're going to eat. And she just throws together this thing that I don't know about you, but that would take me like at least a week to pull off. Oh, yeah. The opera you know? singer and the cellist and this gorgeous. Yeah. Cake and and we're going to use yeah. the We're going to use the teepee and we'll arrange the tables around it. And we've got all the tables downstairs. Just go get the tables. You know, I'm like, are you kidding me? To the point where so it's just this really. It's like deceptively opulent party it's it's not really lavish in the grand scheme of things but the fact that they were just able to pull that out of their ass is what makes it so you know just just kind of grossly sublime and into the middle of that walks this hermit right who just is who just sets everything in motion and one family of parasites starts taking on the other family of parasites and it all just basically like you said it's a bomb and the bomb goes off in the middle of all of this and it just goes and goes and goes and there's stabbings and there's tackling and there's they're dressed up as Indians and there's cellists running every which <laughs> way and you're just sitting there just dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. Dumbfounded, you know? totally. Yeah. It, I don't know about you, but at this point, it takes a lot in a movie to shock me. When that shit just started going real, 
I was just pinned to my seat. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I really like about this movie is I walked out and I'm, if it's a movie that I'm not succinctly able to explain um, or I can't really relate it to any other movie. Like it's, it's a own thing that I, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this before. That's the hallmark of a, a really great movie. Yeah. And, and this is one of those. So, um, but yeah, I, I didn't expect anything. And when that bomb goes off the proverbial bomb, it's just a whirlwind around your head. And you got to wrap everything that you've seen for the last hour and a half up to this moment and put it all together and go, wow, this was crafted impeccably. Like parent, like on IMDb, it's first listed as a comedy. And I mean, there's funny shit in it, but it's not a comedy. It's listed as a thriller, which sort of, but compared to some of his other movies, it's not really a thriller. Mm-hmm. It, like you say, it's really hard to square yourself to what you just saw. Yeah. It's not a horror movie. It's not no. a drama. Really? I mean, but I yet, guess it, that would but yet it's, it is violent and it is dramatic. Yeah, and it is funny. It's all of those. So that's what I'm saying. I can't pinpoint this thing into any, I can't put it into any hole. Um, and that's what I loved about it. And then back to the party, though, they do take a moment and they go upstairs where the son is up there with his student um, talking about, do I fit in? Like there's this little allegory on the side about if I just put on a suit and tie, does that make me one of the crew? Or is there something more to being, uh, you know, rich and affluent and part of this group, which kind of goes along with what you were saying about the driver. He's this schlubby looking guy. He stinks a little bit, but you put a suit and tie on him and boom, he looks like he belongs there. Um, I think that's kind of what the son was getting in, getting at when he was talking with the girlfriend upstairs, looking down yeah, at this party. And, and what and and like kind of what this whole movie is about. It's like if you can, if if somebody invites you into the club, that's really all it takes. If somebody vouches for you, it it really like you don't even really have to come from means. You can you like like you were saying like the whole thing about uh, a ladder and guts if yep. somebody hands you the ladder if you've got the guts you can you can get in anywhere you want so i mean he's asking because he's got the ladder and he's got the guts and he's just like he's basically saying really is this all there is to it mm-hmm. and you know he's asking a girl younger than him he's asking a teenager is this really all there is to it and everything we've seen so far is like pretty much you know you might have to shower a little bit more and you know, like you're you're gonna have to be very careful because you're gonna get found out. But if if you're as cl- if you've come this far, if you're clever enough to come this far, same thing. I mean, same thing goes for the the housekeeper and her husband. If you're clever enough to hide them under there, and you were able to get get away with it for a day, you can probably get away with it for a year. Yeah. Which it's they so na- they lament, and that night of getting drunk, they talk about wow, how naive. Uh, and unaware of these people are that we can do this. Can you believe how how we've so easily duped them? But yeah. when when the son is upstairs with the girl and he asks her that question, her reaction is great. Her reaction is exactly what you just said, which was, yeah, pretty much. But she doesn't say anything. She just kind of looks at him and smiles a little and nods her head. And I, yeah, that's, I guess that's about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like it's a really, it's not, it's not trying to be, I mean, the thing about being somebody who identifies as progressive and somebody who identifies as, you know, like on the left is there are some times where I think that people can be really, really ham fisted about this kind of thing and be really smarmy about how, you know, like be very unegalitarian about how egalitarian the world should be. This movie actually treats it all with a very deft touch of pointing out the differences in class and how it how easy it is for one class to get into the other and it never gets preachy about any of it it's it's amazing to see it all unfold was there anything about this movie that actually didn't work for you because i mean we've been like lavishing this movie for half an hour uh i was just googling egalitarian first of all um (laughs) (laughs) thank you okay uh it's my word of the day yes 
Um, is there, well, we got to get to the end, like the very end. I want to talk oh, yeah. about that. Is there yes. anything that didn't oh, yes. work for me? Um, well, like I said, just that one nitpick about the family. I'm a little surprised that they are where they are. The rainstorm felt a, like the timing of that felt a little coincidental, but it, it's whatever. It's fine. Uh, no, not not really, especially the more I think about it. I think the pieces fall into place pretty well. Was there something you were not liking? The begin- I mean, if, if somebody who hadn't seen a Bong Joon-ho movie before were to see this, or, or even, you know, for all I know, somebody's listening to the show and they've never seen a movie, a Korean movie, period. Um, that first... 45 minutes can feel a little slow when everybody's getting into place and everybody's slipping on their suits of being domestic workers. That first 45 minutes is very, very patient. Yes. Um, you know, it's like, I mean, it gets paid off in the end because of just how balls to the wall, everything gets in the final hour. That's the thing. Once you get to that, once that once that family gets into that house and they start acting like a bunch of slobs, it's all downhill from there. Like it does not waste a second from that point on from, from the moment they're in that house. And and it's, it's crazy. Cause you think that's, what's actually going to out them. You know, like you think that, that the whole thing of the family coming home to find them that way, you think that that's really what's going to get them. Not the fact that there's a dude downstairs mm-hmm. that's going to cause this whole other conflict. But that first 45 minutes or so, it, it almost might be too patient. It might be. Yeah, it would be tough to say. Although, yes, I kind of agree. You could shave off 10 minutes, a snip here and a snip there, and pull 10 minutes off, and the movie would probably work just as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's but, it's uh, it's a feature of Bong Joon-ho movies. It's a feature of Korean movies. They're in no hurry to, to show their hand. Yeah, that's true. And maybe it wouldn't work. You know, it's tough to say. Maybe you need that slow build up to make the that final hour once the doorbell rings uh <laughs> it's it, you're off to the races and maybe yeah. you need that just what is is this movie gonna have a point really is this gonna yeah yeah it's it's not even long like it's it, it's longer than two hours it's like it's two it's two twelve so it's it's not like it's really flabby or anything like that but i bet you five bucks you could probably take those 12 minutes out of the first half of the movie and you'd still be left with something wonderful. I agree. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about the, the very ending? Let's do it. Because I really, really liked it. And this is one of those cases where this has happened to me before. I can't give specific examples, but there's an ending, a very happy, lovely ending and the movie fades to black. And I go, Oh, that was such a nice ending. And then it, the screen lights up again and I go, oh, there's more. That would have been so perfect. But that last 10 seconds is actually better and puts a stamp on everything the movie's been saying the whole way through. So it's yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's incredible. Like that, that, that ending was just, you know, it goes back to what Mr. Kim was saying about plans and sometimes no plans at all are the best plans. And his son in this moment is saying, well, the plan is I just got to bust my ass so that I can, you know, so that I can do right by my family. And it's not even like none of this. It's it's crazy because none of this is his fault. Like, like the son in this moment is assuming responsibility for this chaos that was unleashed at this party. He's, he's basically assuming the death of his sister. He's assuming the the disappearance of his father is all on him. And he's like, I just gotta gotta bust my ass. Gotta make a lot of money. Gotta buy that house. And that's what I'm gonna do. And 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 and, and we don't know how. We don't care how. That's the thing. The movie just shows him in a suit a little bit older buying that house we don't show this house to everybody and you're just like well i guess he did it like we with the movie has yeah. give, has built up enough trust with us at this point just to like yeah i guess that happened good for you kid and and gets this elegant little ending of that father walking out of the bunker into the into the light and 
you know, it's it's kind of crazy because on the one hand, you're right. We would totally accept that ending, that sweet fairy tale ending of this just bonkers story. And yet it's like, not yet. You know, like we get just a little 10 second one shot reminder of that's where I got to go, but I'm not there. I'm not there. And, yeah. He says something yeah. like, and that's the plan so long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh I just God, remembered at the risk of spoiling <laughs> an old movie, older movie anyway, that's kind of the ending of 25th hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was trying, I was trying to come up with it. I was like, I know that there's a movie that does and that. And there's, there's other ones too, but that one sticks in my, you know, he goes off on this. This is what we're going to do. It's going to be fine. And then they come back and go, but it's not really the reality here. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's, it's an incredible ending. Yeah. I, it was one of those ones where I, like my jaw dropped a little bit when it ended and it was so like wholesome and I'm like, Oh, what a great, oh, sweet. And it's a beautiful image and it hangs on that hug for a little while and it fades to black and my jaw was open just a little bit going, wow, that was really good. <laughs> and then it comes back and gives you, and then my jaw dropped open a little bit more and went, wow, that was really great. Yeah. It ends yeah. on such a cynical, like just kind of a, oh, that's too bad, but way to nail the ending. Just stick it perfectly. Loved it. Yeah. Oh man. No, this, this movie's incredible. Um, we end every review here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, there's a lot in this movie that one could take away and keep, but Andrew James, what would be your takeaway from Bong Joon-ho's parasite? Well, Ryan, it's been really cold and blustery and windy and wet around here recently. So in 10 minutes, when the mom cooks up that Rhonda ramen, Mm -hmm. that's what I want. That that looked so good watching her cook that up and put it she, in like 15 minutes. She throws that thing together and sets it in front of the, the family and says, eat up. That's it. I want that ramen. Looks Permit. delicious, doesn't it? It looks so good. Yeah. Oh man, like she got like the big chunks of meat in there too, and it looks like it's got like a like a soy barbecue sauce thing. Yeah, I, I, those chunks I, of meat. Oh, it looks so good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I gotta try that. Um, so actually, it's kind of my my souvenir is kind of like that. Actually, my souvenir is I want that kitchen. So I'm I'm no class warrior or anything like that. But the one thing I've always noticed in life and certainly in the movies is that people who have incredible kitchens never really use them. And I'm a cook. So I, I like just long for counter space and islands and, and metal <laughs> fixtures. So I, cause like I was, I was making chili last night and I had to keep clearing off the island every time I would cut something up just cause I didn't really have a whole lot of room. So I want that kitchen that they have and they've got like a whole pantry off the side of it. I, that's if I, you know, it's an incredible house, but I, they can keep the rest of the house. I can live in little broom closet rooms as long as the kitchen is what that kitchen is in this movie two things one sure. i bet if you went back to previous episodes of the matinee cast you've had that exact answer before i, I well that's like entirely true that. just because i have kitchen envy <laughs> um the other thing is i'm glad you I, I wanted to mention this with this whole cinematography and stuff but in that kitchen i love the black door the black doorway that goes oh, yeah. down into the pantry. You constantly see that, but it's just this black, like, void. And it's always there. It's always looming. At one moment, there is kind of a fantastical bit, um, but it's always there just looming and what's just quite beyond that. You get lots of shots, what's down there, but still, whenever they show the kitchen, there's that just ghostly sort of black void that I... I, every time they showed that shot, I loved it because you would see so people disappear down into there and come out of there seemingly like a mist or like a spirit. It was really cool looking. Yeah. And I mean, the reality of this movie breaks from the reality of life, because on the one hand, it looks amazing because surrounding it are these like walnut shelves that are, have this really like lovely golden light. Yes. That are, that are like highlighting all of these uh, uh, plates and dishes and whatever happens to be on those shelves. So aesthetically, it looks gorgeous because you have this black rectangle in the middle of this sea of gold. It looks incredible. Yes. But on the other hand, you think to yourself, practically, you wouldn't do that because that's just far too damn creepy to have 
a doorway <laughs> that's pitch black right in the middle of your kitchen. Yeah, it's You'd weird. be like, I'm going to put a lamp in there or something. It's like a realm to another dimension. Almost. <laughs> exactly. It's really cool. Yeah. You know, you go through that and you get, you end up in Narnia or something like that. Um, yeah. That's it's, your kitchen. It, it, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> Um, obviously we both really love this movie. So I think this next part might be a little bit redundant, but we do rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars. Andrew James, what do you give Bong Joon-ho's parasite on a scale of one to four? Yeah. I'd give it a pretty solid four. I would too. This is definitely one of the best movies of the year. This is, I, I didn't get a chance to catch up with this at TIFF and it was the movie that everybody was talking about. And I was, you know, I often come away from that kind of wary. Um, I, the movie that we're going to talk about on the next episode had the same sort of effect where everybody at the film festival was talking about it. And I think it suffered for me a little bit because I couldn't, uh, it couldn't live up to the hype, but this was a movie that absolutely lives up to the hype. It's an incredible movie, a four star movie, one of the very best of the year. Um, Hey, maybe you think that we're both crazy. Maybe you think that this movie is garbage or maybe you think that we're not being effusive enough. Maybe you think this is an all time great movie. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter or on matinee underscore CA facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think? A Bong Joon Ho's parasite. Lifting the mask from a local clown, feeling down like him. And seeing the light in a station barn, traveling far and sin. Much has been made about how Parasite is the first international film to turn this trick, but it also did something else that's pretty rare. Last May, Parasite won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. And if you're thinking that Oscar and Cannes make strange bedfellows, you are correct. Best Picture and Palme d'Or have only aligned three times. And to find the last time that happened, one has to go all the way back to 1955, when Marty turned the trick. The only other time? The Lost Weekend in 1945. Bong Joon-ho, Billy Wilder, Delbert Mann. Talk about strange bedfellows. But there you go, folks. A little more Parasite for your weekend, and I hope you enjoyed the discussion in the film itself. The podcast proper is returning on schedule on February 24th, so we'll see you then. But in the meantime, congratulations, Parasite. Congratulations, Bong Joon-ho. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you at the matinee. Changing a rope for a size too small, people all get hung. Take a look, you may see me coming through. For I am the parasite who travels two by two.